I've mentioned before uh, that as a kid, we would take sometimes our family vacations to this area of West Virginia where there was a super large uh, satellite that uh, in this area called the Green Bank Observatory. It was kind of a, a neat thing as a kid to take a tour through this place and see these massive radio telescopes. In fact, uh, supposedly it's the largest radio telescope in the world. I'm sure that's a, a fact you'll never forget. But um, yeah, a, a, and so we would go and learn all kinds of cool, interesting facts about the, what was going on there. And interestingly enough, the job of this place was to scan the universe for extraterrestrial technologies, all right? Radio signals from extraterrestrials. That would be a pretty boring job because I doubt they're getting a lot of feedback, are they, from day to day? But one thing that was interesting to me in, in this was the fact that the area around this uh, observatory was uh, deemed a, an area where you could not have cell phone signals or any kind of radio signals. So it was a quiet zone where you could have no competing signals. So in, in case you did have that rare sound come from outer space, all right, you wouldn't have anything blocking that signal around you. And I thought that was fitting illustration for our text today because as we talk about the Holy Spirit speaking to us, it's not that the Holy Spirit is not speaking, it's that there's so much noise around us that we're not listening. There's so much around us happening most of the time that we're not tuned in to the frequency that the Holy Spirit is speaking. And so we're going to be back in John chapter 16 today. And, and before we jump into the, the text starting at verse 4, I'd like to start us at the end of the text and then work back uh, that way because I, I really think he sums up exactly what he's getting at and it'll give us kind of the, the big picture from the beginning. So in verse 14, Jesus says this. He says, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus says this, for he will take what is mine and he's going to declare it to you. Okay, so he's going to say this twice. So something's important, it's said twice, right? And, and so it's said twice here. It must be something that's really important for Jesus to communicate to his disciples. So verse 15, he repeats it. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it, he will give it to you. So as he's giving his disciples comfort here, right before he leaves to go to the cross and then be ascended back into heaven shortly thereafter, he's telling his disciples it's very critical that they understand that he is going to continue his mission through the person of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that before, Jesus has talked about that twice already. But I really see that in this, uh, in this passage today, he tells us some things that we really need to know about the Spirit's work in our lives. And so the foundation that we want to carry with us out of here today is the fact that Jesus is not silent. Jesus is speaking through the Holy Spirit. And the question is, are we listening or is it so noisy that we're not hearing him? He's continuing his mission on earth through the work of the Holy Spirit. Are we paying attention? Are we listening? So we're going to look at this full text, uh, text beginning in verse 4. So let's pray together, and then we'll look at this. Father God, I pray that you will take your word and just allow the Spirit to illuminate this, as this was just prayed by John, to illuminate this text, to make this true and real in our lives, God. We are here today, the majority of us, because we believe in you. We believe in the Trinity, the God, the Father, you, we believe that you're the Father. We believe in the Son, and we believe the Holy Spirit is active and working in our lives. And God, if, if that's truth, if that's reality, then 
you're doing something much bigger than ourselves. You're doing something much bigger than just us coming and filling a seat today. You're wanting to give us your mission to live our lives in a way that glorifies you and makes you known. And I pray today that what you tell your disciples will equip us for this mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus is giving this farewell discourse. He's telling his disciples these last critical things that they need to know before he goes to the cross and before he leaves them. So let's pick up in verse 4. The second half of verse 4 starts a new paragraph. And Jesus says this. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. So Jesus is being very, very clear about some things that he had not spoken to them about earlier in his ministry. And so he's particularly speaking to what he's talked about as far as the persecution that was coming and the hatred that they would get from the world as a result of following him. And so they have experienced with Jesus physically, they've experienced a lot of hate from the Pharisees. They've experienced a persecution at some level, but it's going to intensify even more once he leaves the earth. And so he's preparing for these things. He's saying, I'm going to be clear what you should expect. There's going to be persecution and there's going to be hatred. And then in verse 5, Jesus actually gives them a, a soft rebuke, which reading through the text, you may not catch this, because they're literally only looking out for themselves versus really paying attention to what Jesus is going to be going through and what's going to happen with him. Look at verse 5. He says, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? And so they're not nearly as interested in Jesus and how that, how that he, him leaving and where he's going. They're more interested in how that's going to impact them. And look, he says it in verse 6. They will miss him. They're going to be sorrowful. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So they're being very self-centered in their response. Jesus is saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to ascend back into heaven. But yet they're focused upon themselves and how this will impact them. And it's hard not to separate ourselves from that situation, right? We live in our own reality, right? The things that happen to us, that only is unique to us, obviously, and so when things happen, the natural instinct is to say, how is this impacting me? What's in this for me? What's going to be the consequences for me? But Jesus points out that this is a huge mistake for them, and it's a huge mistake we know for us, because when we take our eyes off Jesus and we put him on ourselves, even if it's something that makes sense, something like Jesus is going away, oh, I'm so sorrowful that, that Jesus is going away. And so it's, it's like a dad having a camping trip arranged with his son, they're going to go away for a camping trip, and the dad, all of a sudden, something comes up at work, and he says, can't go, son. Got something, something come up. We have to cancel. And he's like, Dad, oh, where are you going, right? And, and, and he's asking the question, Dad, where are you going? But he doesn't really want to know the answer. It's really more the question is, why am I not getting what I want? Because Peter, back in chapter earlier in, in the, this text, Peter had asked Jesus, where are you going? But it was very much like that kid who asked, you know, why, why aren't you going, Dad? Where are you going, Dad? Why aren't you coming with me was the real question behind the question. And so they, they've asked him that, but their focus is on themselves. And if we're going to live out the mission for Jesus, then we have to be Christ-focused 100% of the time. We have to keep our eyes upon Jesus. Otherwise, we are going to find a lot of other things to be consumed with. And most importantly, how things impact us. 
or what's in it for us. And so Jesus is making them clear. There's a lot he has expected for them down the line here. How are they going to respond? Are they going to keep looking at him, or are they going to say, whoa, you know, how is this going to impact me? Verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. We've talked about this. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus is leaving planet Earth, and this is inaugurating the age of the Spirit. The Spirit will be at work. Jesus physically removed. And Jesus has told us what's going to happen when the Spirit comes. Way back in chapter 7, verses 37 and 39, when Jesus, you remember he stood up on the day where the people were celebrating this water festival there at the temple in Jerusalem, and he stood up and he cried out and he said, uh, if anyone thirsts, he says, come to me and drink. He says, if you come to me and drink, out of your innermost being, he says, will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds a little parenthetical phrase. He says, by this, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit who had not yet come because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he paints this picture that when the Spirit comes and Jesus leaves, that these living waters will just come out from within us. That he paints this picture of this joy and this incredible triumph that can happen as a result of the Spirit's work within his disciples. Pretty amazing truth. The fact that it's better for them if Jesus goes away because the Spirit will do that kind of work within them. And we know, we know the end of the story. We know what happens. We know the disciples just turn the world upside down as a result of the Spirit coming and living within them. And the gospel is just spread so quickly throughout the known world. And it's amazing that Jesus predicts this and tells them this and says, have confidence in this. And all they can think at this point is, you know, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, but the reality is I don't like it, all right? And it's understandable they're going to miss him. They're going to miss Jesus. They had God with them for three, three and a half years of ministry, but yet they're still focused on themselves. And so it's a very fine line there, the focus on self versus the focus on Christ. How does this impact me? What are my motives here versus am I doing this for his glory, for his honor? And so we have to constantly ask ourselves that question. And we have to remember that Scripture tells us the heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked. Who could know it? And so we have to be daily in God's Word, hearing from God, if we have any chance in the world of disconnecting our selfish agendas from God's agenda, His mission, as He takes that mission from the Father, gives it to the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit feeds it to us, and we go out and we live for His glory and His honor versus how is this going to impact me? And so he, now he gives several aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry, specifically starting in verse 8. And the first one is he says that when the Spirit comes, he says he will convict the world. He's going to convict the world. The word convict is a legal term. And so the, the picture he's getting at here is the Holy Spirit will act like a prosecutor in a trial. He's going to bring the charges against people. So convict means to accuse or prove wrong. So the Holy Spirit's job is to convict, to prove wrong, to accuse, and then Jesus gives three specific areas that the Spirit will do this in the world. He says, verse 8 again, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin 
and righteousness and judgment. Let's talk about those just for a second. So the first one, he says he's going to convict the world of sin. Verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So the Spirit not only accuses people of sin, but he brings this inescapable guilt upon people that they realize their shame and their helplessness before God. And if you've come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sin. You were convicted of your inescapable guilt before Creator God, a holy God who is perfect and righteous, and that you don't measure up. And so he convicts of sin, and the primary, the main way that he convicts, the ultimate thing that he convicts of sin is rejecting Jesus. Look at the second half of that verse, because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. And so he convicts for sin, and the ultimate sin, that he proves that they're wrong for rejecting Jesus. They rejected Jesus, the ultimate sin. So the Holy Spirit proves people wrong on that. And then the second one, verse 10, he says, the Spirit proves people wrong or convicts the world concerning righteousness. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. What's he talking about there? The Spirit convicts the world of the ultimate righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. He convicts them first of their sin. He shows them they're in, in guilt and shame, but then he shows them the righteousness of Jesus. He points out and shows them they must be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus if they are going to have a relationship with God. You see, it's not enough just to recognize that we're pretty bad people, but we must have God's righteousness found only in Christ if we have any chance of standing before him. It has to be about Jesus, being clothed in Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. And so he convicts the world. He says, look, here's all the evil and the sinful things and the wrong things you're doing. He points that out to them. But then he also accuses them and shows them that their righteousness isn't enough, that they must have the righteousness of Jesus. You may think that your righteousness can earn you the path, but the Holy Spirit says, it ain't going to happen. It can't happen. So the Spirit proves you wrong. He convicts you that you need more than just your good works and efforts. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because he says, I'm going to the Father, and you'll see me no longer. So he says, the Spirit's job then will to be to hold up Jesus and his perfect standard, his righteousness. He will lift Jesus up and show people Jesus Christ in the perfect righteous standard and so he will hold up the mirror of Jesus and say, do you measure up to this? There's no way I measure up. Well, you need Jesus. You need a Savior. And you embrace the righteousness of Jesus. And I say this all the time because I've mentioned to you that Satan has a way of blinding people's eyes to the simplicity of the gospel. But the simplicity of the gospel is that not only when Jesus died for you, did he not take your sin to the cross, but then he gave you his righteousness. He took your sin, and it was nailed to the cross, and he gave you the righteousness that he has, that he bestowed or poured out on you. And so that's where the identity changes in your life. It's not just, I'm a forgiven person, but I'm carrying around the righteousness of Christ. And that's what concerns me, I think, so much about easy believism. We talked about this a few weeks ago, because easy believism says, my sins are forgiven I'm going to heaven, that's really all I care about, really, if it comes down to it. But when we understand that 
we've become a new person in Christ, this union in Christ. Christ in me, I in Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ. And that's why God loves me, because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. Not because there's something great or loving, lovely about me. It's he sees Jesus and his righteousness. And that's why he loves us unconditionally in the same way that he cannot dismiss or not love his own son is the same way he views us as his children. When he looks at us, we're the objects of his love because of Jesus. And so we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so we have to remember that because that changes our identity. It changes who we think we are. And then the third thing he says in verse 11, the Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment. Look at verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world by showing that the world is incapable of making any kind of spiritual judgments or assessments. All right? They failed the ultimate test. Jesus came to this earth. God became flesh, as John told us in chapter 1, and he dwelt among us. And what happened? Not only did they not accept him, that they killed him. They rejected him. They put him on the cross. And so their judgment, their spiritual assessment was totally off. And so the point Jesus is making here, he says the ruler of this world is judged. He's already been judged, and all that persist in their unbelief will face the same demise that Satan himself faces. He's already been judged. And so Jesus has told us about Satan, that he's a liar from the beginning, and his end and his destruction are a definite thing. But he's going to try and work hard to make all of us skewed in our judgment And he's going to work hard because he's the father of lies. And he's going to continue to feed you lies about your identity in him, but also just what brings you happiness, fullness, satisfaction in life. And look, I I just wish that some of you could really honestly maybe go for the day with Rachel at Stillwater's shelter and just hang out there for a day with the ladies who come in. I'm sorry, I called it shelter. I wanted to call it shelter at Stillwater's and see the brokenness that the ladies there are experiencing. Or, as I was reminded this week, just in, in a couple different situations, just how awful some people's lives can be apart from Jesus. The physical abuse in relationships, the, the abuse to children. Some of you know from being part of the court systems and seeing kids in these situations, these homes, these are the things that we in ministry deal with oftentimes, and we see Just the extent that sin can bring into the lives of people when they are separated from Christ. But I think sometimes we get comfortable in our Christian bubble and we forget the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. That when we put Jesus as Lord of our life, that he really truly gives us in this incredible judgment to be able to see the lies of Satan and recognize those lies and choose to live differently. And live our lives in a way that we do have joy. It doesn't mean it's not easy persecuted. We, we receive hatred from the world. But at the same time, we live in a way that we know that God delights in our decisions when they're, we're making decisions that are honoring Christ. And then when we do those things, he gives blessing to us. And when I say blessing, I'm not talking about prosperity blessing. I'm talking about a joy and a contentment that just doesn't exist in the world. And, and so again, if, if you're not really rubbing shoulders with people out in the world, you don't really recognize this as much how broken this world really truly is. 
And I thought they did a great job on the video just talking about that. And I would encourage us, those who have the Spirit, those of us who are believers, who have the righteousness of Christ, ladies need to volunteer in the shelter and really make a difference in the, in the, the ladies' lives there at Stillwaters. I called it a shelter again. She reminded me, don't call it, we're not a shelter anymore. And that's, that's an important distinction because here's why. A shelter is where people just go and they stay when they're in crisis. But this is really a, a place for discipleship and for ladies to grow and, and to be put on their feet and find jobs and to be cared for. It's not just a place where you go for a night or two and then leave. And so that's why it's important they have that distinction there. But mentors are needed. Ladies, to come alongside these ladies who are in these situations and to help them. Because Satan is destroying people. And it's not just enough just to have some good morals or values. They need Jesus Christ in order for this to take effect. So we have to break out of our, our self-interests. And we have to be willing to, to listen to the Spirit speaking as Jesus speaks His mission through the Spirit to us. And we're not very good listeners. Uh, apparently, this is a, a true story, and I just found it pretty funny, the fact that President Roosevelt talked about how that when long lines of people would gather for, to see him and get their picture made with him and get autographs and those things, that he said he was frustrated, even as President of the United States, because as people would come through the line, they were so giddy about seeing him and getting a picture made with him or, you know, their friends being able to, going to tell their friends, look, I was with the president, that it really wasn't about him. It was just about them. And he said that he, he got frustrated because nobody would listen to him. And he said, finally, he said the people in the line, he began to just murmur to them, this weekend I murdered my grandmother. <laughs> and people were like, oh, oh, oh great, it's, it's outstanding, it's really good, glad to hear that. He said, even as the President of the United States, people weren't listening because it was about them. And, and we got to be so careful as Satan feeds us the lies and the competing noise and says, here's the things that are important. And we put these things above God and, and we hear this constantly Satan banging this drum around us with this life and culture. And we tune out the very thing that we need if we're going to live the way that God has called us to live on mission for him. And so he says, we need to listen to him. He's, he has this message. And so verse 12, he says, Jesus tells his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So he, he's saying, look, I'm sure you got lots of questions. I'm sure there's lots of things that you thought about at this point because I had not told you these things before. You had not heard some of these things. You, I mean, remember the disciples, even up to this point, they still were expecting Jesus to bring in his kingdom with power and authority run out the Romans, and they were going to be these victors. And Jesus is telling them, look, here's the real scoop. And they're sitting back saying, whoa, this is not what we expected. And, and so I'm sure they had lots of questions. And Jesus said, look, you're going to get your questions answered with time. But he doesn't specifically answer their questions. Instead, he makes them a promise. Look at verse 13, what he promises them. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He's going to guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, for whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so it's important to note that when the Spirit comes, the Spirit doesn't set up a kingdom, but continues to extend the kingdom of God that Jesus has already inaugurated in Jesus Christ. And so as God has established his kingdom, the Spirit's going to come and keep doing the work of Jesus. That's what's the constant 
in this the constant in this passage, the constant theme is it's going to continue the work of Jesus, continue the work of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit's guidance into truth for the disciples definitely took a form that's a little different for us today, but it was so critical even today as we sit here and read and study the very words of God. And let me remind you what the disciples' early work was. And as Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by someone's own interpretation. For no, one prophes- no, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the first disciples... Jesus has told us already, you're going to remember my truths. Here's the purpose of the Spirit. He's going to remind you of the truth that I've spoken. And then what are they going to do? They're going to literally, as the Spirit speaks to them, as the Spirit spoke to John and to Peter and others, they literally take parchment and they write down the words of Jesus. And we looked at this some weeks back where Jesus just said, you're going to remember these things. And it's incredible that many of the things that were written down were written down 50, 60, 70 years later by these disciples. And so this is not just because these are smart guys. We know these guys were just normal, everyday fishermen. But they wrote these truths because the Holy Spirit inspired them. He gave them the very words of God. He breathed out to them. He inspired the words, and they wrote them down for us. And so they remembered the truth of Jesus, and they gave that truth of Jesus to us. And so for us today, through inspiration, God, the Holy, the Holy Spirit moves and he wrote, had the men write these words down and, and through his teachings that he gave them, now we have the Word of God. And the Word of God speaks through the Spirit by his Word. The Spirit speaks to us by his Word. And we talked about this all the time. We mentioned it weekly. But the truth is, how often do we fail to see that this is God's mission for us. It's his love letter to us. It's his way of communicating his desire and how that we can live and order our lives for his glory and for our good. And so when we read verse 14 and 15 again now, it makes more sense that he, he gave this to his disciples, but he also gave us his word to us. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus said, For he will take what is mine, he's going to take the words of Jesus, and he's going to declare it to you. Again, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he, who's the Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to give his truth to his disciples. And then the Holy Spirit takes this truth, and he lives within us, and he makes us real and true in our lives. And so... The head application, which we just need to just reiterate again and again throughout the sermon, is when we read and study Scripture, the Holy Spirit illuminates it, enabling us to understand and live out the mission of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's taking the very mission of Jesus, the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated, and he's passing it on and saying, build my kingdom. Here's your job. 
Take my words, let my words dwell in you richly, sink in, Colossians 3.16, let them just soak into you so that you could be fully equipped to go out into this world as my ambassador to make me known and to live for me. And so when we see the words of Jesus are that critical, it should make a difference. But you know what? Here's the part where I feel like sometimes we miss the boat. And we've talked about union with Christ so much in this series, but we must mention it again today because in this context of the vine and the branches, again, this is all within a love relationship. This is not just intellectual facts that you take and you apply. This is a relationship with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it real and personal. And Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And so the Spirit confirms in us that we're loved by God, that we're his children, and nothing, as Romans says, can separate us from that love. And we're in this love relationship with him. And so it's not a, here's your to-do list, now run along and do it, come back and report. It is truly, I'm in union with you, Jesus, as your Holy Spirit illuminates your words, I want to live this out in my life. Because I love you and I have a real and true relationship with you. How do we define that? How do we make those who in here maybe who just that you're just disconnected from a real and personal relationship? Think of it maybe this way. Think about it as a father and a son walking side by side down the street a little guy, three or four or five years old, and all of a sudden, just for no reason at all, the father just grabs his son, picks him up, kisses him on the cheek, gives him a big bear hug, just loves on him for a minute, and then, it, and then he sets him back down, and they continue to walk. Let me ask you, was the son any more of a son in his father's arms in that embrace? No, not at all. He was still just as much legally a son as he walked alongside his dad. But he was more experientially a son as his father took him up and embraced him and loved him, and he loved his daddy back. And I think that's the picture that the father wants to give us through the vine and the branches. And, and constantly, Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. Throughout this book, he's repeated that again and again. And the Spirit says that he says the same thing about the Spirit. Again, he says, I'm going to take what's mine and I'm going to give it to the Spirit, and then the Spirit will give it to you. And so the Spirit then takes the Word and prompts us to live out the character and the life of Jesus. So what's your relationship with Jesus look like? And then the final thing, I, th I think just the noise of our culture and our society just get in the way. And that's what's been so great about Lent. I don't know what you're fasting from for Lent, but just maybe you've made a couple decisions. I've heard some people say they, they're giving up their phones or social media and, and many different things just to turn down the noise of life for a while so you can hear Jesus and be still before Jesus. And the noise doesn't necessarily mean turning down the TV or turning off the TV, but I, I think it's more like thinking about all the cares of this world that really don't help us run the race that God has called us to run, that we, we take on these cares and these worries and all these things that we don't need to carry with us. And this is the noise, I think, so much of our modern-day culture. And I think of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where 
the author of Scripture used the analogy of a race, and he said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then what does he say? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so that's what we're on mission about. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Yes, the sins that we know are sins, that we need to put those aside, but also the weights, the things that may not be necessarily sins, but they're still slowing you down. And you know they're things that you just need to eliminate from your life because these things are not causing you to progress spiritually the way that you know you need to. And so the Holy Spirit comes in and he convicts us in these areas. And then we can make the choice. Are we going to be in relationship with him, in union with him? Are we going to, to be like that child who is embraced by the daddy, who hears the father love him, and out of love he responds? Or are we going to keep our relationship technical, distant, cold? I do a pretty good job of keeping the rules. I don't have much of the sins I'm carrying with me, but yet your, your arms are full of just weight and unnecessary cares because you know you, you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's spiritually. You know you're good to go, right? You're, you're, you're a pretty good person. You're a moral person. You know you're in Christ, but you just want to kind of get just enough to make it through and get by. And Jesus says, I've changed your identity, the righteousness of Christ. Live out who you are. Be who you are for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who is lifting, as we looked last week, lifting up Jesus, that he's not about himself. He's about lifting up Jesus and making Jesus known. And God, I pray you'll give us boldness for the name of Jesus and give us boldness on our mission that we will slow down and be still and turn off the noise, throw off the weights, and hear what you want us to hear and do the things that you called us to do. God, I pray that you'll help those who are maybe stuck in a, just a very cold, distant relationship with you right now. Help them to remind themselves that it's not a result of you not speaking, but it's a result of you, them not listening, God. And I pray you'll help them to open the word and be still and let your word penetrate their heart. Let the spirit take the word, convict, and make it real in their lives. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. In his powerful name we pray.